Sometimes I wish I was a senior adult. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Uh, Doug had asked me, hey, when do you want to share about Iraq? Do you want to wait a little while? Do you, you know, you want to share in a couple weeks? And I said, no, let's do it next week. I think it's in proximity to the trip and, um, and everything's sort of raw and fresh. But that also means everything's sort of raw and fresh. <laughs> so bear with me a little bit. I was talking to one of the bishops. At, I had a conference this weekend, too. So I was up in, in Seattle until last night. And um, I was talking with one of the bishops, and, and we were talking about trips. And he said, you know, sometimes it takes a while for your mind to catch back up with your experiences. And I said, yeah, and your heart, too. Um, so there's, there's something about this whole trip that's still processing inside of me. Um, but hopefully I can give you a little window into what that looks like. Um, first of all, I guess I have to explain this picture. Yes, I do. So, nothing happens. Oh, there we go. <laughs> So I, while we were gone, they, uh, I uploaded some pictures one of the days I was able to get internet, and uh, this popped up on the screen and apparently created a small amount of panic. Um, there's a story to this. The man on my right there is, uh, is a pastor of, well, he's sort of a, he's a free Methodist pastor in the area that watches over and does ministry in eight different refugee camps. He's not located at a church, but he goes around and does ministry at a camp. Now, he, was, he had arranged for a distribution of stuff in this refugee camp with Samaritan's Purse. And while we were there, go ahead and go to the next picture. This Peshmerga shoulder, soldier showed up. Now, this guy lives in the village. And the way the Peshmerga soldiers work, they're Kurdish defense teams. And they, they work for a week on deployment, and then they come back for three weeks with their family, and it's pretty universal for him. And he showed up, and he was there getting shoes with his kids and getting a box of food and some of the stuff we were distributing, but he's friends with the, the pastor. And so they got joking around, and he was like, hey, here, and took off his gear and put it on him, and they were laughing and joking about the weapons and all that. So that's where that picture came from. We were just playing around with loaded weapons. So, um, so nothing traumatic or, or whatever. Anyway, I thought I would clarify. So let me go ahead and tell you a little bit about what we did and how we got there. Uh, go ahead and... So this is a picture of Iraq. Doug loaned me his little laser pointer here. Um, so Iraq is this area about like this. And, and the upper area here where you see all these little dots, those were the places that we were at and the camps we visited and the things that we, we were involved in. Um, drawing a rough line, kind of like this, eh, come a little farther down, this is what they would call Kurdistan or Kurdish-controlled Iraq. Um, I'm not going to get into the whole history of the Kurdish people. We might talk about that some tonight. And they'll be during the evening service tonight at 5.30. Um, I'll have a more question and answer time, and we can have some more discussion about this stuff. But Kurdistan is a, is a semi-autonomous region in Iraq. So it's still under the, you know, within Iraq, but it, they have their own government, they have their own fighting force, they have their own people 
um, they're a, a, a separate area entirely. Um, in fact, you have to get a different visa if you're going to go down into to southern Iraq. So we were up in Kurdistan. Um, go ahead and go to the next picture. And so this is, this is a close-up of the places we were. We flew into Erbil here and, and drove, well, this is Mosul, so we kind of drove this way. <laughs> we didn't go, we didn't follow the main roads. Um, but we went up this way and, and we're located up here for the first week and then down here for the second week. Um, doing, well, similar things and, and um, some different ministries. Uh, we need to figure out a signal here for going to the next slide. So I'm going to have to say that first. There you go. This is a group of people that went. Um, this guy back here is a pastor of a church in Maui that I used to attend, and his wife. And they are, he is also a cardiac surgeon, and she is an anesthesiologist. And they have been running medical mission teams for about 11 years to places that are deeply deeply hurting and in need. Um, this is the fourth year that they have been back to Iraq, and they go sometimes three times a year. Um, last year they only made it twice. But, um, but we went with this team, and, and their focus has been historically to do cardiac surgery on kids. And so, um, go ahead and go to the next so I got invited into the emergency room, or, well, the operating room. This is prepping a child for open-heart surgery. And they bring a team of some of the best cardiac pediatric surgeons around the nation into Iraq. And they do hundreds of screenings. I think they did somewhere around 400 or 450 heart screenings on this trip over the two weeks. And then in addition to that, when they do the screenings, they, they then determine which ones need surgery, can they do the surgeries in country, um, can they pass them off to other cardiac surgeons who are in country that are capable, or do they need to ship them out to, most of the time, Israel, but also India. Um, so on this trip, we did, we did seven open heart surgeries. We did over 40 heart catheterizations where they come in through one of your arteries and plug a hole or, or rewire something. Um, and then, like I said, about 450 screenings and so. Um, this is one of the little girls that they were working on and in recovery. Uh, the ICU there is a little different than the ICU in the U.S. Um, they don't really watch them. So if the stuff starts beeping, they'll come and check. But uh, our doctors and the nurses took shifts to go in there and watch them through the night. As well as another. Um, the cool thing about their ministry, and it's called For Hearts and Souls, is that their focus is not just on healing the heart, but also healing the souls and bringing Jesus to them. So the next picture. Um, every child and every parent gets prayed for if they want it. They have never been turned down. Um, this is a Muslim woman and her little baby. Um, and while there, we saw Muslims, we saw Yazidis, we saw just Kurdish people, we saw uh, Christians, we saw refugees, we saw people living in the cities. Through this hospital, they interact with, well, thousands, if you count the parents and family, of people. And they get to pray and talk with and share with each one of them. Um, 
Now, out of this group, I got invited, as well as a handful of people from their church, to go and do ministry in the refugee camps. This was kind of a first-time deal for them. They had brought three people last time, one of the ones that invited me this time, who had gone out and done stuff in some of the camps around the area. But this was really the first time this ministry had invited a group of people or a team of people to come and do ministry in the refugee camps. Um, Now, I was invited in about November... Um, And as I talked about ahead of time, spent a lot of time praying about that, talking with Shanette and trying to figure out, is God really calling? Is is this what he's asking us to do? Um, And and I decided a month before we left to, to go. Now, here's the cool thing. I just went, okay, well, I guess I'm going to go. And I bought the plane ticket (laughs) on a credit card, actually, $1,350 all the way through. And I really felt like on this, this trip that, that God didn't put on my heart to specifically ask people to support me. I didn't call people. I have kind of a network of people that have bought in and supported me on mission trips and stuff before. I didn't call them. I just sort of put it on Facebook. Hey, here's where we're going. Here's what's happening. Whatever. Um, the day before I left, I picked up the last check of the donations and offerings that had come from our church. And coupled with other people who had sent in money from families or friends, I calculated that I was, after I cashed that check, that I had been given to about $2,450, which was $50 less than I needed to go. It's like, wow, that's amazing. I went and I told my mother, hey, guess what? Like, I'm so excited. I got, I, I mean, I haven't even asked people for money, and people just generously given from our church and from different places. And I, I, like, I came within 50 bucks of what I thought I would even, you know, just guessing I would need for the trip. And she said, oh, that's amazing. You know, a card came in the mail for you today. And I opened it up, and there was a $300 check in there. So not only were my expenses covered, and I got to buy a little Turkish delight, but I was able to give some money to a couple of the churches that we worked at also. I gave $100 to a couple of our ministries there. Um, Now, in addition to that, you guys also did an amazing job of donating supplies and and stuff. Uh, this, This is us sorting all the stuff that was donated for the refugee camps that we brought in. Are sitting in our hotel. Um, a fun story about that, and I'll talk a little bit a, a, about that in a little more in a sec from what came here, but there was a single mother that Shanette and I made friends with when we were down in Lebanon who had a really rough life all the way through, and she'd been homeless and had lived in a homeless shelter for a while and just struggling, and finally she's got a job now, and she's working, and she's back at the homeless shelter where she used to be hosed, serving and helping. And when she found out about this, she was like, oh, we'll help. And so she rounded up the homeless people in Corvallis, and they collected supplies to send with us to the refugees. And I got a box from her of all kinds of things that refugees might want. Pretty amazing. So, one of the things that came out of the church, go ahead and go to the next one there. Um, in, in many of the refugees, because they fled with nothing and then had to sell whatever they had, had to sell 
their earrings or their jewelry just to get someplace and get out of space. So I had mentioned to you guys, hey, we could really use some, you know, just jewelry and simple things to give away to the kids. Go ahead and go to the next one. This little girl was unprompted going, hey, look, I got earrings. She was just very excited. It was really, really cute. Um, so for those of you who donated from here, those, even those little things make a huge difference. And she was, she was. I mean, I just was taking pictures of kids in the school, and she's like, hey, look at my ears. So anyway, she was pretty excited. But this is, this is where we were. So I'm going to kind of start off with just the basics of what we were doing. This is a refugee camp that we took a picture of on uh, the second day I was there. Um, it is kind of up in that northern area where all that cluster of dots were. It's up outside of Duhok. Uh, there is roughly 17,000 people that live in this, this within the compound walls here or fence, um, and and there is somewhere around 40 or 50,000 that are outside of it. So there are 65,000 people in this camp. There's depends on how you count them, somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 40 refugee camps in northern Iraq. Yeah. So they don't search you. I mean, you could ride in there with a machine gun if you wanted to, but um, people don't. Um, but there's, there's somewhere around 30 to 40 of these refugee camps. Which you can do the math on that. Some are bigger, some are smaller, and whatever. But but there is literally hundreds of thousands of people that have been displaced by the fighting. In Mosul alone, there was 1.9 million people before ISIS, and some are still there, but uh, hundreds of thousands have dispersed. And so the need in in this area is huge, and there are just hundreds of thousands of people that are living in these little places. So go to the next picture. Um, and so what we did is we got to go to the, to the uh, refugee camps and take pictures of ourselves. Um, <laughs> actually, we get there, and it was amazing how excited people were to see us and meet us. Almost everybody could say, what's your name? <laughs> Usually couldn't pronounce mine. Trevor is not a sound they have in their language. Um, but uh, it was really fun for me to try and pronounce their names because I can't say their sounds, and they couldn't say mine. We had laughed a lot. And just spend time sitting and, and playing and, and with the kids. Um, one of the cool opportunities then is we got to connect with some of the social workers, or the, the various ministries that are in these camps. And um, and we got to go and sit with some of the families and hear their stories. Um, this is a Christian family that fled Mosul um, because they were afraid for their lives. The husband is this family. Um, the husband is, is in... Uh, he's a Peshmerga soldier, so he was gone. Go ahead and go back. Okay. Um, he's a Peshmerga soldier, so he was gone. But there is, when he's home, seven of them that live in what we would sort of see as a, as a pod for transporting our shipping stuff. They have a real small kitchen. They have, a, it's, you know, kind of a, a, a metal walls. 
um, it's not insulated inside. Inside is that corrugated thing, few windows, um, and they they're dry. And we forget, you know, it's Iraq, right? But they're about the same parallel we are. And so it snowed on us four times while we were there during the day. And, um, but, but we got to go and we got to sit with them and hear their stories. It's the next picture. Um, we also got a chance to connect with Samaritan's Purse and do distribution of food and aid for people. Um, I've got some pictures, I might show them tonight, but of what we gave out. But this girl's holding blankets. Um, there's some food in that box. It's only about a week's worth for the family. Um, some toiletries, soap and toothpaste and stuff. Um, and over on this side, you can't see it in this picture, uh, there's a whole wall of shoes. How many of you have ever bought or worn Tom's shoes? You know how they say if you buy a, a pair of shoes that they'll donate a pair to someplace else? There was an entire wall of shoes that we unloaded from a truck um, and gave out Tom's shoes to kids that literally had nothing. So um, it was pretty beautiful ministry. You might notice this guy, he was the one who was holding the gun in the first picture with me. <laughs> um, the Free Methodists have four churches in northern Iraq, all run by refugees. They actually fled Baghdad during persecution because they were Christian. And they've now planted four churches up in that area. This guy is the one that works with about eight different camps. And Samaritan's Purse not only runs their ministries, but then they help provide for um, other places that need help. And so he had contacted Samaritan's Purse and said, hey, this community that I'm working with and I'm running a Bible study at and I'm doing stuff with, they really need help. And so it, the way it worked out, um, Samaritan's Purse needed some help with the distribution. And we showed up and I went, Hey, Slum. And he was like, hey, Trevor, how's it going? What are you doing here? Well, this is our ministry. This is what we do. And we had this great time of working together for the day, helping and giving. Um, go ahead and go to the next one there. One of the ladies who came along on the trip was also a trauma grief counselor. And so she, was, she got a chance, um, and I got to go with her into some of the camps and, and talk to people about their stories and the PTSD and all that. But she also met up with, well, she, both of us did, met up with some of the social workers and the people in the area, and we, we did art therapy training classes. And so then when, when they were you know, doing these therapy classes on how do you help people talk and process their stories, um, we got to go work with a group, a classroom of children, and have them draw a picture of their heart and then talk about, well, what part of your heart is full of love? What part of your heart is full of joy? What part of your heart is sad? What part of your heart is angry? And help them process sort of the emotions and the trauma. Because, see, here's the thing that they were telling us about most of these refugees. There is so much pain in a community that nobody has space to hear each other's. And so there's this collective sense that we've lost everything, that, that our world's upside down, that our, um, and many times our faith has destroyed us. Our, you know, I mean, the, you know, we, we're Muslim, but look what Muslim 
know, Islam has done to us. Um, there's this, everything's been turned upside down and everybody is so hurting that they don't have space to sit down with somebody and say, hey, tell me how you're hurting. And so even the children um, just are existing without a way to even talk about or process what has been going on for them. And so sitting down with the social workers and just giving them a basic tool. Um, go ahead and go to the next one. We got to say, hey, draw us a picture and then explain. What is it that's going on? You know, where, where is it that your heart is, is full of love or, or joy? Where is it full of love? Where are you sad? What does that mean? Um, and then there were more ongoing conversations that were going to happen there. Um, so I do get a question out of that. What is life like there? I mean, if I asked you, tell me what, uh, what northern Iraq looks like, what would you tell me? Desert? Okay. Mountains, mountains, oil, yep, oil derricks and stuff going on. What do you think the cities look like? Concrete, huh? <laughs> Rough. Camps, congested, busy, maybe chaotic. <laughs> um, go ahead and go to this next picture. So we we were in a... This, uh, we were up near the hotel, or the hospital, and we're walking down to the hotel. That was our hotel right there, the Jat Yar Hotel. And this is our team walking below. They had a footbridge that came up over the, the road. Um, but it is remarkably developed. Um, I was really surprised, having been in a lot of de really developing nations where, I mean, you've got donkeys and camels and elephants and people and motorcycles and all that on the road and just sort of a mess everywhere. It's actually remarkably ordered and, and structured. Um, most people drive decent cars and there's, I mean, good flow of traffic and the cities are fairly well developed. Um, this, this city, Duhok, I don't know exactly how many people are in it, but I would guess somewhere around a million to a million and a half people in the city. Um, and safe enough that we just went for a walk as a team on the streets. Like we did not worry about our safety at all. Um, it was, people were friendly and open and welcoming. Um, of course, their shopping is a little different. Go to the next one. This is their market place. Now this market covered about 10 square city blocks. Um, and uh, this was, I forget which department this was. You can see the fruits and stuff back there. And it kind of went all the way down there. And then you got into scarves. And then you got into electronics. And then you went over into cosmetics. I've never seen so much Mary Kay in my life. Um, <laughs> it was, you know, I mean, it, the shopping was a little bit different. But uh, go ahead and go to the next picture. This picture will not make it onto the internet, and I will probably not talk about it again. But this is the hotel we stayed at in one of the cities. We were working with an organization called Kurdistan Save the Children, and they're a government-run organization. The wife of the prime minister started it. 
and they are one of the ones who have primarily done heart surgeries on, on the kids. And, and they have previously, before our team started showing up, would collect the kids and the families, send them to Jordan, fly Israeli doctors in to do heart screenings in Jordan, then determine what needed to be done and distribute them either back to Israel to go get surgeries or to um, you know, bring them home and say, oh, your heart's all right, we'll wait. We saved, Kurdistan saved the children and the, and the company somewhere in the neighborhood of 800 to $1.2 million coming in with our teams on this trip. I mean, you think about the cost of shipping 500 families to Jordan and then doctors in to take care of them. And the, the wife, or the, the director of that camp, owns this hotel. <laughs> and so they put us up in the nicest hotel I have ever set foot in. I mean, this is luxurious. Now, it's cheaper than here. I mean, the rack rate's only like 200 bucks a night, um, which something like this would probably be 800 or 1,000 a night in the U.S. But, but I mean, when we talk about the Middle East, this is a 22-story, top-of-the-line, luxurious hotel that has, I mean, everything. <laughs> it has a two-layer, two-floor gym in it. Well, the yes, it did, actually. <laughs> um, while we were there, a whole entourage of uh, SUVs rolled up, and some Saudi Arabian guys got out with a dozen bodyguards and all machine guns and armor. It was kind of fun. But um, anyway, but when you think about Iraq, so often we think of poverty. This is not that. Um, just go to the next picture. I will not put that on Facebook, however, because we're all broken vessels that God fills to pour out, right? But the reality is people see the vessel before they see what's in it. And there was a huge disconnect for me going out and sitting underneath a blue tarp in a tent and then giving somebody some gloves and a hat, maybe a little food, and then coming back and sitting in, well, this was my view. <laughs> um, we need to minister to people where they're at, not where we're at. And I think sometimes we forget that. I mean, even here, right? Like we reach out to our communities and how big of a disparity is there between what we are in and what they're in? Our opportunities and possibilities and their opportunities and possibilities. There's not a whole lot of people in this room that will ever get pulled over for the color of their skin <laughs> or be turned down for a job application because of that. We need to minister to people and fight to help people where they're at. So, moving on. Food was amazing. This was one of the doctors who hosted us. Um, go ahead and go to the next picture. They didn't have enough space for our whole team, so they just spread plastic on the ground and did this feast all the way around for us. 
They want to talk about generous hospitality. They consider it an insult if they get done and there isn't food left over in abundance. So next picture, this is what was left over after we all ate. <laughs> I mean, they are all about giving and giving and giving. Um, hospitality is inbred into their culture. And it would be an insult for them not to welcome us as strangers into their home, not to host us. Everywhere we went, we got hosted and brought in, and the restaurants would bring their best meals out, and, and the people would provide for us. There's something um, remarkably different about that than in our culture. We might say hi to a stranger. Somebody comes visit church. Oh, hey, it's good to see you. Glad you're here. Yeah, I'm going to go catch up with my friends. <laughs> oh, very different in our culture. We could learn something from it. So I'm going to tell a, a few little personal stories. Go ahead and skip to the map here. Um, go ahead, next one. So this was that upper area. Duhok is here, refugee camps that we visited. Um, up in this little area is a town called Zako. And uh, the third day that I was there, go ahead and go to the next picture, um, the superintendent for the Free Methodist Church in that area, he's from Baghdad eight, nine years ago, his name's Wiam, uh, came and picked me up and, and took me to meet, I'm blanking on his name, anyway, I can only barely pronounce it anyway, um, and, and up in Zako, and he has, a, he has a Free Methodist Church there. Incidentally, side note, this bridge was built in 600 AD. You do the math. It's still used. There's, those are people. Um, go ahead and go to the next picture. Um, oh, it's also that river down there is Ezekiel 1.1, where Ezekiel talks about receiving a vision. That's the river. Um, this is the Free Methodist Church there. It's a Disney store down below. And uh, they live up here, and this is the Free Methodist Church in the middle. It's his wife waving at me. Next picture. Um, well, yeah, so... Um, so they do a lot of ministry to the refugees in the area as well. Um, and and while, they, while we were there, I met up with them, and I preached in that church, and then I went with Weam and, and met up with Slum and went out to one of the refugee camps in the area, and they introduced me to, to this man. His name's Talal, and his wife's name is Amir. Um, Talal is a Christian who was down in Baghdad, and they found out he was a Christian, and he was captured by ISIS. He was in captivity for about three and a half months, and they tortured him. Um, and in fact, he, he was showing us stab wounds in his legs where they'd stabbed him with knives. Um, somehow he got free. I didn't really follow all that. Um, he was either ransomed and, and purchased out or, or released in an exchange or something. But he got free, and he came back home but realized it wasn't safe, so he took his wife, and these are his two kids, and, and fled. Now, his brother is a Christian, and, and his brother's wife was too, but she converted to Islam. And when she converted to Islam, um, she, she decided that she didn't want anything to do with her husband or her daughter, and she sold her daughter into slavery. So that's, that's her little daughter. Her name's actually Christina. Um, and... Talil and his wife were 
obviously distraught by that, so they bought her back for $7,000 from ISIS. Um, and, I mean, she's cute as a button. We can skip two slides there. Well, that's his face, but yeah. And she was running around and just excited about everybody. Um, and his, Talil's brother, um, was a Christian, and the wife, to get back at him, at least from what Talil was saying, accused him to the Iraqi government of selling human organs. And he's in prison. And his lawyer said, oh yeah, it's, I mean, this is a, I mean, it's a simple case. You'll get free, but it'll cost $5,000 for the court fees and the processing and the lawyer stuff. And so Talil's trying to raise five grand to get his brother freed from Iraqi prison. Um, go ahead and go to the next one. This is, uh, this is one of the refugee camps that we went and visited. And... Um, this is a kindergarten class. They love bright colors there. Um, but it was really cute. They did a, a Kurdish dance for us and, and showed us all their little cultural things. Um, but go to the next slide. This is the group that oversees that. Now, they work for Kurdistan Save the Children. Um, her name is Srud, and his name is Birwar. Um, I don't know the other three real well. They were kind of our de facto traveling companions for a few days and taking us around and showing us. The last night we did a goodbye dinner out of Suleimania. We invited them to come and eat with our team. And they sat next to me. And it was interesting in that conversation, I, I said, hey, you know, what do you guys think about everything that's going on? What do you think about your faith? You know, are, are, you, are you Islamic? And they, they kind of both went, well, we're Muslim, sort of. We don't, we don't pray, we don't go to mosque, but that's sort of our cultural heritage. And I said, oh, really? What, you know, what, well, is there anything about that, you know, or anything that, that you're interested in? And both of them, quietly, under their breath, said, well, we read the New Testament. And this guy, uh, Birwar, said, I read this story about Jesus and about somebody coming or about him saying if somebody slaps you on one cheek you're supposed to turn the other and he goes that's so much better I don't understand why we don't do that well, wow that's pretty profound so I connected him with uh, our translator um, who's a Christian in the area and said you you need to follow up on these two. But there is a hunger and an interest and an awareness that the world is very different for them um, in Islam than the message that, that we preach in Christ. Um, we're going to kind of cruise through a couple pictures here pretty quick. Go ahead and go to this one. Um, her name's Marsha, the lady on the right there. She's from Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York and is a full-time missionary in Iraq. She was one of the social workers that we did the trainings with for art therapy. Go ahead and keep going. Um, she works with Yazidi refugees in the area. And they collect, funded by churches, um, a month's worth of supplies for them. So every family gets a big bag of potatoes and diapers and um, flour and oil. And, and we just 
they were shorthanded and we happened to be free and so they invited us to come help pack them up and distribute them. Fun to learn, for sure. This was one of the days it snowed on us and we're in that open, abandoned building and they had these little kerosene heaters like this. This is how they heat all their homes as well. Um, and and they had they would gather around and warm their hands. So I was there, and we were there for about an hour and a half. Um, and I was taking pictures and talking with them, and and you know they were interacting with the the people that they'd been working with. And this lady, go ahead and go to the next one, came up to me and saw me, and I was like rubbing my hands like this. And she goes, are you cold? And I said, well, yeah, it's pretty cold here. And she goes, oh, yeah, it is. And she takes her gloves off and hands them to me. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'll be fine. I'm okay. You know, I, you know, she's like, no, 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 your hands are cold. Take my gloves. I'm like, no, like, seriously, I'm, I'm really okay. <laughs> She's like, no, please take my gloves. And that spirit, that sense of just, I'm going to watch out for you. And it was heartbreaking to think these people are in many ways displaced because of the chaos and the war this, that have been going on there over the last decade, um, a lot of which not our fault we had a huge hand in and yet here we are and she's like oh please take my gloves and so I did and I gave them back <laughs> at the end of the day we also got invited over to the house and and um pretty cool story but I'm gonna, it's a little short on time so I'm going to kind of skip over this these are baby twins that were born like 36 hours before we got there um, and the, this one room, go ahead and go to the next one. This one room, all seven of the family members live in there. Well, there's eight now. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but all seven. This little girl, uh, that one, has a heart condition and is going to have surgery next time the team goes back. So, but they wanted to invite us over. And they heat this whole room with that little heater and have one window and one door. Go ahead and go to the next one. This is what uh, the Yazidi families look like. They live under these under these tarps that we were giving to. Go ahead, next one. Um, and this is what the inside looks like. Okay, next one. This was one of the few times I broke down and cried. This was one of the heart screenings that we did. And this little girl uh, is not going to make it. She was born without eyes. These little slits are about yay big. No eyes in there. Um, but her mom asked me to pray for her. And I just got a hold her in my heart and just wept for this child. And I think in that sense that I started to understand a bit of God's heart for these people. I mean, she was so little and so helpless and so lost. And literally just praying for her, like tears started coming. And, um, 
you know, when we, I know this is potentially political, but when we read through the Old Testament, God's heart is for the wounded and the hurting and the broken. Go ahead and go to Bible verse there. It's Numbers 15, 15 through 16. The community is to have the same rules for you and for the foreigner residing among you. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. You and the foreigners shall be the same before the Lord. The same laws and regulations will apply to both of you and to the foreigner residing among you. You see, so often we forget in our own little kingdom worlds that there is no difference in God's mind between those who are living with us and our neighbors. We forget that, that God's heart weeps for the broken and the hurting. Go to the next one. Deuteronomy 26, 12. When you finish setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. Did you ever think about the fact that God calls our tithe to be given to the strangers, the foreigners, the widows? Like, I am glad you gave it to the Levites and we have lights on in this building. That's... God's heart is not to build our kingdoms. God's heart is to care for the hurting. Next. God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. How many people in here are immigrants to America, first-generation foreigners? Two, three, four. How many of you are from parents or grandparents or whatever that were immigrants to America? That's a trick question. All y'all should raise your hand, <laughs> unless you're Native American. God's heart for the foreigners and the hurting because they are the ones that are weakest. And as Christians, our calling is to care for with the heart of God for foreigners. And you know what I find really interesting? Go to the next scripture. Matthew 2. And after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with a child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. And they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. We serve a refugee. Let me say that again. We serve and live for a refugee. A foreigner. A stranger. 
And so often we forget that. I was sitting next to a Turkish man flying home into New York on the plane, and we got in, and he started launched into this tirade about our American policies and the weirdness of it and all this stuff. And I just listened to him for 20 minutes. And then I said something about, and he finally asked me what I was doing, so I told him what I was doing. And he said, well, isn't it kind of hypocritical for your government to go and cause all these wars and these problems and, and chaos, and then you guys come over and start doing things to try and make it better? I said, maybe. But I said, I don't control my government. I don't control my people. But I know what I can do to be good and to help those who are hurting. And I know I can go help. I know I can provide for those. And ultimately, that's what matters. I will vote how I vote. My government will do what it will do. But what do I And changed the whole tone of our 13 hours remaining on our flight, which I was really grateful for. Because at the end of the day, Jesus Christ does not care. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that. Jesus Christ does not care, as far as you are concerned, what's going on in our politics. God's got our political stuff figured out. He appoints them. He takes them down. It's his bag. Jesus Christ cares if you love those who are hurting. If you are hospitable. If you turn the other cheek when your enemy, even if it's a Republican or a Democrat, slaps you. See, God cares about our hearts. The rest of the stuff doesn't really matter. I had an interesting experience where somebody asked me about my politics or the politics of America. And I kind of started to explain it. And then I asked them about their life. Their home was blown up by a rocket. They happened to be outside. The husband ran up to the lady and threw the kid in her arms, and she was in Syria and said, get in the car and drive. Go to Iraq somewhere safer. I'll try and catch up. And she was living in a tent in an Iraqi village, and she hadn't heard from her husband in over a month and didn't know if he was alive, and he was still in Syria. And all of a sudden, I started thinking, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I don't really care about our political system. Like, these people have issues. Life really matters here. And I come back home and people are so angry and they, they hate each other over who voted for who. And I just go, it doesn't. I mean, it matters, but it matters like this much. If somebody in Syria whose house was bombed had to flee because of arguably our interactions and could invite me into their house for tea, I can sit down and talk with somebody I disagree with politically. And if we let our hearts get hardened, we have missed the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
you know, the refugee we serve. On the night the people he came to save would beat him and spit on him and kill him. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And whenever you eat this, remember me. And in like manner, at the end of the night, when his closest friends were going to betray him and the message of love that he had preached was going to be abandoned by those he most gave it to, he said, this, this is my blood which is shed for you. As often as you drink it, remember me. So as we come to this time of Selah, I invite you to come and remember Jesus. The things that we so often are bent out of shape out of, of by, the times we so often forget that it's really about loving and caring for the least of these, Jesus says, remember me. And as we do this, I, I have a video that's going to play. Sorry, guys. Um, of faces of people I took while I was there. Reflect. Reflect on the foreigner. Reflect on yourself. Remember Jesus. God, I thank you for the opportunity to go Thank you for the opportunity to see. And I thank you that no matter where we're at or what's going on in the world, you are in control, you love us, and you are good. May our hearts reflect that to all those around us. In your precious name we pray.